19. This is Jesus speaking. Anyone need a Bible? If you have, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority, Over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open up the heavens for us, Lord. And even as uh, I have received, Lord... I pray for the grace to now give, Lord. Be just a vessel. I pray I wouldn't be a hindrance, Lord, to you speaking to to every man, woman, and child in this room. And Father, with Moses, we ask you this morning, show us your glory show us what that means show us what it means lord jesus when you pray to the father father uh, glorify your son that your son also may glorify you show us what that means lord we know that uh, these are not dead words these are alive words these are active words that uh, you want to put into us so that we 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 go out from this place living and alive in a very different way from then when we came in, Lord. Lord, we come to you not based upon anything. Uh, we, we come asking for that blessing, not, not asking based upon anything that we've done. We don't deserve to have this, a word from you this morning. We, we come to you this morning not, not, not based on anything we haven't done or done, but only by And because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Jesus has just finished his final teaching before being taken away and crucified. Very last sentence in John chapter 16. This is the last sentence, the last line, the last words he taught before dying. He said, In this world, you will have trouble. In chapter 16, verse 33. But be of good cheer. Have a strong, courageous heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus had been teaching more or less without any interruption for three years. Those were his last words. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. Be of good heart. I have overcome the world. At that point, John chapter 17, verse 1, says immediately, it says, Jesus, after speaking these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, he, he prayed. You know, you, you may ask, why do pastors and preachers and priests pray after they read 
uh, a sermon or give a sermon. Well, here you have it. The answer's right here. Because Jesus did. So here we read Jesus' prayer. It's a prayer to the Father. He's speaking to the Father. And I, you know, I wonder, could there be anything more sacred? Could there be anything more sacred than reading a prayer between God the Son and God the Father? You know, sometimes it's just worth stepping back and considering what we have in, in, in this book, what we have. Here we're, we have the almost unthinkable privilege and blessing of, of listening in on God the Son talking to God the Father. Think about it. And he begins, what does he say? He begins his prayer, Father, the hour has come. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Now, can, it, can anything be more important than reading this and, and getting it, understanding it? What's he saying? God the Son here. Jesus praying to God the Father. It's so important that we understand what does this mean? Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. So in order to understand that, we first got to consider his words, his very first words, the hour has come. The hour has come. What does that mean? Well, before this point in the book of John, we read time and time again that Jesus' hour had not come. For example, in John chapter 5 uh, on, uh, we read that religious leaders, that we saw them plotting to arrest Jesus and kill him, but they were not able to. Why? Someone want to shout it out? Because his hour had not yet come. John chapter 7, verse 30 says this. Do we have that? Thank you. Therefore they, religious leaders, sought to take him, Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But here, Jesus begins his prayer, says, okay, okay, Father, my hour has come now. My hour has come for What? Son to be glorified so that he can glorify you. That word glory, it's used so many times in the book of John, seven times in the first 15 verses of this chapter, but uh, it really has been like that from the first chapter. Remember John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us, he lived among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John talks a lot about glory. And, and, and we've, so we've talked about glory a lot because we're going chapter by chapter through the book of John. Glory, what is it? It's that part of God that when we see it, our hearts just burst out with praise. It's kind of an explosion happens. You hear, hear a lot about explosions that are bad. This, this one's a good one. You, you, we, we see the, the love of God, the power of God, the, the, the mercy of God. And, and, and when we see it, our eyes are open up. We're like, oh, God, yes. I've never seen that before. How I need that. How holy you are. How, how wonderful you are. That's the glory of God. When we see a, that part of God, God opens up our eyes to see something new about him or see the same thing for the thousandth time, just like we've seen it for the first time again, and, and we just our heart just kind of explodes. That's the glory of God. It's kind of a hard word to define. You kind of have to act it out like I do up here. Now, if you go into some churches, churches in the South, you go into a Pentecostal church, from time to time, you will hear someone cry out, glory, like that. 
They will cry it out. Guess what? That's a, that's a, that's a good thing. That's actually a, a biblical thing. In, in Psalm uh, 22, verse 9, says this, in his temple all cry out glory. So it's not just people acting religious. There's actually a, a basis for it. When your eyes are open to the love of God, when your eyes are open to the justice of God, when your eyes are open up to the power of God... There's an explosion, an outburst that happens in your life. And you see, when you, you see the glory of God, and that's why we defined at one point love. Remember the definition we gave of love? Doing whatever is necessary for, for another person in order for them to see the glory of God, because what happens when we see the glory of God, that, that, that outburst of, of joy, of that holy fear, is the glory of God. Jesus says, okay, the hour has come, God, glorify your son, that he may glorify you. By the way, really quick rabbit trail, when you're praying to God, you're praying to him for whatever so that you can glorify him. God, God, I, I, I need this job. <laughs> Would you please give me this job that I can glorify you in it? Would you please send a husband, send a wife that I can glorify you in marriage? Would you, would you please heal my child? you would be glorified. This is, that's what Jesus says. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. So what he's saying here is this. He's not just talking about any glory here. There's such a thing as just any glory. He, he, he's, he's talking about the fact that heaven and earth are going to see some things really soon that they've never seen before, and they're going to see things uh, that, um, and hear things that they've never heard before, and they're going to cry out glory, their hearts. And, and all of history is going to, looking back on it, it's going to cry out glory. And, and specifically, what they're going to see is this. Jesus will be glorified in this, in these things. Jesus will be glorified in his road to the cross. Jesus will be glorified at the cross. Jesus will be glorified in his resurrection. And Jesus will be glorified in his ascension. That's what he's talking about here. So in verse 1, he says, glorify your son that your son also may glorify. So what he's talking about, he's talking about, you, you, God, okay, it's time, it's time for the world to see a, a piece of glory, a big piece of glory that, that no one's ever witnessed before. No, no one's ever seen glory like this. No, no one's ever, or no one ever will again on planet earth. So first, let's just take on, the, on his road to the cross. Jesus will be glorified on his road to the cross. And by doing so, he will glorify the Father. People will see Jesus on his road to the cross, what happens there. And even unbelievers will say, there really must be a God for a man to be able to do what this man is doing like he's doing now. Angels in heaven will see it. The, the Bible talks about how uh, you know, on, on, some, some, some guys and I went down to a conference in Maryland last week and it's a seven-hour bus ride or a van ride and on the way down, you know, in order to kill the time, 
I guess a better way of saying it is in order to use the time, I brought up a couple verses where I'm, I'm scratching my head. What does this mean? One of, a, one of those verses is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, which says, the, the church, meaning you, will be a witness to the principalities and powers of the air. What does that mean? And we worked our way through it. And what it means is that you, believe it or not, with your life, are a, a, a witness to angels. <laughs> they, look at, they look at your lies, they look at the life of the church, and they go, wow. Same thing with Jesus' road to the cross, with the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension. It would be, people would see it, and they'd cry, glory, be a witness to them. So let's take the road to the cross and let's take one attribute of his, one part of God. The Bible says what? God is love, right? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. says it again in verse 16. On the road to the cross, what Jesus is saying here in verse 1 of this prayer, he says, heaven and earth will see love in a way they've never seen before. Now, now remember, the word love is, is defined in the Bible. It's defined for you because we, you, we, us, we get very confused as about what love is. What we think love is is, is not what the word of God says it is. And they're two very different things, actually. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through uh, 7, can't read these verses enough. It, it defines love. What is love? Love suffers long. thought love was lust. No. Love suffers long. I thought love was infatuation. No, love suffers with someone for a long time. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Provoked to what? Love is not provoked to anger, is what that means. Uh, that does not mean that there's never a place for anger. But you know what I'm talking about. We have a self-control issue, and 90% of the time when we're provoked to anger, it's sin. <laughs> and the Bible says, love is not provoked to anger. On the road to the cross, can, Dave, can we get that list up again? On the road to the cross, Jesus was beaten with a whip made up of four to six leather strands with pieces of glass and metal embedded in the strands. He received 39 lashes with that whip, his flesh opening up. After <clears throat> being beaten, he was struck in the head. He was spat on, repeatedly spat on. He was mocked. He was blindfolded. They hit him and asked him, well, who is it that just hit you, prophesied to us? Blindfolded, he was supposed to. They wanted him to tell them, "Who just hit you?" <laughs> they were mocking him. And by the time it's, uh, he got to the the cross, it says he was unrecognizable. But listen, never once during that whole process, on that whole road to the cross, was he provoked to anger. Heaven sees it. Earth sees it. And when their eyes are opened on earth, they cry out, glory. We have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. Let's just think about it. For, for, who, question, for, question for the day. I've been, I've been into those, right? Question for the day. Who, who do you think, other than Jesus, who do you think who do you think's in second place in the history of the world? terms of the best person. Who do you think? 
As you've just read about history and read the Bible, who do you think is the second best person? Anyone want to just shout out? Who do you think? Who? Who's second best? I know, I know it's like a million miles under Jesus. In second place, you know, in the Olympics, people are within 110, 40 yards of each other. It's a million miles away. But who's, who's number two if you read the Bible? Oh, no, come on. There's someone. Who? Paul. What were you going to say, David? Moses. Moses. So I think of the Old Testament, I think of Moses. I just cannot believe. I'm teaching through Deuteronomy now. Hopefully pretty soon we'll be having, I'll be teaching at a, at a midweek. We pray about that location. We're, it looks like we may have a location. But uh, teaching through Deuteronomy, I just cannot believe what Moses I, It's just unbelievable. But in the New Testament, wow, I, I do. I think of Paul. You know, what, what that guy went through is just absolutely incredible to me, what he went through, the Apostle Paul. It says of Paul, it says, Paul just recounts his history in ministry. It says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've, I spent in the deep, meaning the ocean. Uh, in my journeys and dangers of waters and dangers of robbers and dangers of my own countrymen. In dangers from the, uh, from the Gentiles. In dangers in the city. In dangers in the wilderness. In dangers in the sea. In dangers by false brethren. In weariness and toil. Sleeplessness often. Hunger and thirst. Cold and nakedness. Besides everything else. Every day, a deep concern for the church. Who is weak when I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble that I do not burn with indignation? This is one amazing dude, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. But consider this. Just like Jesus was tried before a high priest, so is Paul. And just like when Jesus uh, was b uh, before the high, uh, high priest, uh, the high priest ordered Paul to be struck, beaten. So let's just look. Let's put on the projection screen, Dave. How did the second best guy in the history of the world react? It says, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near to strike Paul. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's the second best guy in the history of the world. Whitewashed walls, the equivalent, it's a, it's a reference to a tomb where their body's in, and the tomb is nothing but bones. This is what he's saying to the high priest. God is going to strike you down, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> Let's compare that to Jesus. It says that Jesus, again, before a high priest, they were having a conversation, like a normal conversation, and one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? Actually, he hadn't said anything unreasonable. He's just answering questions. He's having a dialogue. And Jesus said this. He said, if I said something wrong, testify. This is a court. Testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth... Why do you strike me? Complete self-control. And in the midst of getting beaten, the man is able to reason with just a, a, a calm, cool, collect reasoning that strikes right at the heart of his persecutors. He is so far above second best in the world. We've never, we, he, he says, Father, now, now glorify the Son that your Son also may glorify you. That, that, that verse is just a little piece of it. That entire road to the cross never provoked to anger. And everyone in the temple says, glory. So again, the list here. First, when Jesus says that, um, when he says in, in verse 1, Father, uh, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Uh, he's talking first about the road to the cross, and next thing he's talking about 
is what? Is the cross itself. The cross itself. Let's consider the cross again. When Jesus is saying, glorify your son, what does he mean? Well, at the cross, heaven and earth is going to see God's love in a way they've never seen before or since. Let's talk about that. In order to understand the glory that is, is, that is revealed on the cross, that bloody, messy cross, you got to somehow try to imagine a world without the cross, which, by the way, is most of the world, that's, that's their reality. They live and they think and they breathe and they survive. And in their understanding of life, there is no cross. Uh, if, if they hear about the cross or the crucifixion, they try not to think about it. Uh, it, it it's so greatly misunderstood. But in order to really understand the, gl- the glory that you see, the Jesus, that picture of Jesus, that bloody Jesus gasping for air on the cross, uh, you have to somehow think of the world without it. Stay with me here. Try to pretend for a second you don't know about the cross. You're thinking, and seven billion people are on planet Earth, and they have for all of history, how is God going to be able to save man? How's a holy, a perfect, sinless, just God going to save man in all his sin, all the filth of his sin? You know, before the cross that Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this shocking statement, he said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh my. If heaven is perfect, how am I ever going to get there? By the way, when Jesus said those words, be perfect, he was hoping people would respond that way. So how am I ever going to get to heaven? How am I ever going to have a relationship with God? How am I ever going to be accepted by him? Do you know that it's not really hard to convince people that they're sinners? For years and years and years, we've been going out on Saturday nights. I've been talking about that recently because we are now on Saturday nights. It's the better weather. And and we we go to to people and and we we tell them, you know, the Bible says that everyone's a sinner. Sin means breaking God's law, breaking God's word. And from time to time, someone will say, I I really don't think I am. But it's a very simple illustration that we we give to convince people they're a sinner. And I would, close to 100% of the time, people say, oh yeah, you're right, I'm a sinner. And what we say to them is, you know, the Bible says that lying, cheating, and stealing is sin, but it also says thinking about those things or dwelling on those things is sin. The Bible also says anger is equivalent to murder. Jesus says that. You think you're good. Because you haven't physically murdered someone. Why tell you that anger is murder? And then he says, and, and, and you know, you think you're, you're being good by, by physically being faithful to your wife, but I'm telling you, if you have looked at another woman or another man with lust, you're not married to him, that's adultery. I think, and so what we continue on when we're out on the streets, I think, you know, if, considering everything the Bible says is sin, I'd be doing pretty good if I just sinned three times in one day. And almost every single person says, well, <laughs> put it like that, you're right. Man is a sinner and he needs forgiveness. And it's not that hard to convince people of that. When we go through that illustration, people... Uh, you know, there's atheists out there. You don't run into as many as you think. But when people understand that there's a God, and most do, they understand, oh man, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. But how is God going to do that? He, he, he is, he's perfect. How is he going to take a, a, a sinner like me and, 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 and save me so that I can have a relationship with him so that I can be in heaven with him. How's that going to happen? So now one solution that, that man comes up with 
And this is what I grew up with in church. I grew up in a, in a church for 16, 17 years of my, of my life that taught this kind of thing. They taught, well, you know, God is love. He loves, and so he forgives everybody. And, and you know, doesn't involve the cross. Cross, that's too bloody and messy. That's too primitive. You know, God is, is a God of love, and, and he just can't help because it's his nature. He just forgives everybody. It's sort of like, the way I look at it, it's just like he waves his magic wand. They're forgiven. That's what I grew up with. That's what thousands of churches teach. There's two problems with that. There are two huge, huge, huge problems with that. And number one is that most people, they ain't dumb. They're not stupid, and they may receive that kind of teaching, like, oh, yeah, that's really good, but, you know, when they, when they go out and they mess up bad, they're like, how do I really know? How do I know I'm forgiven? How do I really know that God waved a magic wand of love? How, and if, even if he did, how do I know that I'm a beneficiary of that, meaning that I was sort of one of the ones he, he waved his love wand at? How do I know that? As a pastor, I deal with this all the time. People are miserable because they think they're going to hell. They have no assurance of their salvation. And they live in just in fear of that. One of the reasons they live in fear of that is because what many churches are, are teaching. God is love and he forgives everybody. But how do I know that? There's another problem with this God waving a magic love wand thing. And that's the obvious. Is that really love? <laughs> Is that really love? For, for God just to say, you know, I'm, I'm a God of love. Just, I forgive the whole world. Is that really what lo love looks like? So the, the second part of our little illustration that we use in our evangelism training is this. Uh, you know, I think I'd be doing pretty good if I just sinned three times in one day. Oh, yeah, you know, you're right. But, but over a year, that's 1,000 sins. Over 80 years, that's 80,000 sins. What kind of person is going to get before a human judge and say, you know, God, judge, I, I've, I've, I have 80,000 violations of the law, but really, compared to everyone else, I, I've been good. Can you, like, let me off, uh, judge? And almost every single person say, well, that's ridiculous. And what we tell them is, how much more ridiculous is it to think that God, who is the judge with the capital T and the capital judge, he's the judge. How much more crazy is it that he would just, with a magic wand, just say, okay, everyone's just forgiven. What kind of God is that. You know, again, it's the type of person um, you know, that, that, that asks, well, if there's a God of love, why all the suffering? And, and you explain to him, well, it's because of sin. Uh, you know, it's because of sin. And, and, and they're thinking, well, okay, well, what are the consequences of that sin? Well, in a world without a cross, well, you know, uh, when they get to heaven... They'll feel really bad about what they did. And, it, you know, and that's literally almost verbatim what I was taught growing up in church. There was no cross. So you, you look around. You look at the oppression of the world. You, 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 you just look, and, and, and I, I just don't want to mess up your minds by just going from news article to news article to news article about just the, the evil in the world, a doctor, a medical doctor, over a period of 20 years molesting 150 girls on the United States gymnastic team. Little girls. One of them, I saw the interview, he did this 100 times. And God's just going to wave a magic wand. Just everyone's forgiven. And there's no consequences. What kind of God is that? What kind of love is that? That's not love. Jesus says, glorify your son now. 
that your son also may glorify you. He's talking about the road to the cross. He's talking about the cross itself. The cross eliminates this this seemingly impossible problem to solve. And what's the impossible problem? If God is perfect, how can I ever know him or be with him and be accepted by him? If there is a God, if heaven is perfect, how am I ever going to get there? The cross answers that question, and it answers it in such a way that God is glorified because of his love, but he's also he's glorified at the cross without compromising the glory of his justice. The problem with the God waves his magic wand and forgives, the problem with that kind of God is that maybe God is glorified in his love. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But in doing so, he comes off looking like a God who could care less about justice, who despises justice, who throws justice on the ground and just, you know, just stomps on justice. But by God, the Father, sending his son to die on the cross... And by Jesus, the Son, willingly going there and suffering there by taking on all that sin, that shame, that 150 girl molestation case, even that, yes, puts it all on the cross. It says the wrath, the judgment of God came upon him. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 says this, He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the evil, the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 3, a little easier to understand. It says this, Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. So on the one hand, this solves the problem. The human soul wondering, how can I really ever know I've been forgiven? How can I know I've been forgiven? With this God loves the magic wand, the magic wand of love thing, well, look no further than the cross. Look no, look no further than the Son of God gasping for breath. Unrecognizable. An iron stake through his left hand, his right hand, his, his feet. Uh, the, Son of God who's, the Son of God who's naked, with, 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 covered with spit, covered with blood. Totally innocent. That's how you know you've been forgiven. You open up the Bible and you read about that. He was punished for your sins. Or the person, if God is is a God of love, why all the suffering? Well, it's because of sin. Well, what's the consequences of the sin? Well, you just look at the cross, the Son of God, gasping for breath, unrecognizable. Then iron stake through his left hand, his right hand, and his feet. Naked, his body covered in spit and blood, totally innocent. That's the consequence. One of the most well-known verses in the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you can confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. Faithful in his love, but he's also just. He's also just. Jesus' death on the cross cries out justice to the Father. The Bible says that Jesus is always, always lives to pray, to intercede for you. What's he praying? He's praying this, justice. Look at the cross, Father. Justice. Look at the cross, Father. Justice. Look at the cross. And God is just, so he has no choice but to forgive because of what Jesus does on the cross. Now that's glory. That is glory. Dave, can we get the list back up? 
Jesus begins God, his prayer, God glorify me that I may glorify you. He's glorified on the road to the cross. He's glorified at the cross. He's glorified in his resurrection. Jesus was the only human being who had ever lived. And up to today, up until now, he's the only human being that he's ever lived before and since who died and was resurrected and didn't die again. There was a few times where God rose someone to life, right? Jesus rose to some folks to life. Lazarus, Jairus' son. But they all died again. So when Jesus is saying, I'm going to show, show, show them my glory, show them the glory of the Son, he's talking about the road to the cross, he's talking about the cross, and he's talking about just the power of God. The, Again, what is glory? It's that part of God that you just look at it and you go, whoa! The power of God in raising Jesus from the dead. And then finally, the ascension, meaning after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it says for 40 days he taught. We don't have a whole lot of his teaching. <laughs> he taught, he talked, and then he was taken up into heaven. And man, if you're if you're reading Acts chapter 1 about that event, that, uh, you know, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, uh, it says in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse um, 8, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, it says, now when he had spoken these words, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And I can tell you when they saw that, what was going on in their heart, there was something crying out, glory. <laughs> Whoa. The mystery and majesty and power of God. I'm going to call the worship team up at this point. I didn't get beyond one verse, but it's a really, wow, what a verse. The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. Hmm. We read the Bible, you know, together so we can come back to reality. And what is the reality? The reality is that, oh, wow, does God love you. <laughs> and he loves you in such a way he doesn't compromise an incy teensy beensy wincy bit of his justice. And I just want to spend some time worshiping. If you could just stand now. And we're going to close with a worshiping song, a worship song. And as we worship, I just want to cry out to God in our hearts. We started worship this morning with maybe the glory in our hearts was muted, meaning. There wasn't a lot coming from our hearts. Our hearts have to be renewed. But after listening to the Word of God, this morning about the glory of God, let's sing to Him with that glory in our hearts. If anything at all is hindering you from worshiping, and stirred up, stirring up in your your hearts this morning, something you want to pray about, something hindering you, or just want to thank God, or just want to pray that you'd be able to see the glory of God in a, in a new powerful way. Come up, we're up here praying, but let me let me close in prayer and let, and then we'll we'll worship and we'll pray together. I think we're gonna do a couple songs again this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name for 
this picture, this picture of, it's a picture of reality. God, how we, we walk here and there, it's in our jobs, on the streets, and our neighborhoods, and what we see is, is colored by just so much stuff, so many, so, many, so many lies that are in our mind. It's, we oftentimes spend the better part of the week, we're not even walking in reality. This is reality. That you pray to the Father and ask, okay, the hours come. Father, show them my glory that I may show them your glory. And, and then you did it, Jesus. That's reality. And, 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 and everything that means in our life, we, we thank you, Lord. Our hearts cry out glory. We thank you. Just by your grace, allow us to worship now, Lord. In Jesus' name.
So we're going to sing this last song <clears throat> called Reckless Love. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we can look at the lyrics of songs and think like, oh, that word doesn't make any sense. So let me, let me just talk about the word reckless for 10 seconds. I just, I'm just thinking about what we just heard from Pastor Steve and like what we feel like the Lord is speaking to us. And Friends, like, it doesn't make sense what God does. We are sinners, right? It doesn't make sense. And, God, and there's, a, there's a piece to it where it actually, it's like, for us as limited people with capacity, like for us to do what God did, it is reckless. But that's why we have God. And his promise to us is that he is our God and we are his people. We are his children. And so, friends, as we sing this last song, um, I encourage you, if you need prayer, to understand what it means to be in the presence of God's love. I encourage you to do that. But let's sing this song knowing that God does something we can't do. That we're, we're singing to a God who is overwhelmingly giving us something that we can never achieve on our own. So let's sing this song together.
that you did a work this morning in us. God, what could seem reckless to us is just nature to you. God, that <clears throat> fighting until you found us, chasing us, leaving behind the 99. God, these are all things in scripture that we see that your love is unending and powerful and relentless in pursuit to find us restoration and redemption and renewal, God. You desire not only to see us repent, but you desire to also give us forgiveness. You really want that for us, Father. So may we continue to seek after it again and again for the rest of our days, God. May we seek after you, Jesus. Pray all this in your name. Dismissed.